Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. We've got Sasha Alexander on the show today. She is a very vivacious actress and health coach and also a survivor of multiple illnesses. We've got Hashimoto's, interstitial cystitis, and mold toxicity. So it's a, it's a, it's a little one, two punch. It is. It's a whole bag of worms. Didn't you get lucky? Sexy, (laughs) sexy stuff. It's so sexy. So, um, Sasha, we wanted to, uh, start talking today about your personal experience with health and we'll get into your coaching later on. Um, but tell us when and how you first realized you were sick with all of these illnesses. Yeah, totally. And how it all manifested. Yeah, sure. There was like a big turning point. So, um, I would say, like, there was a part of my life where I didn't think I was a sick person. And then there was a part of my life where I was like, oh, I'm a sick person. Mm. And that change happened when I was 28. So, But I was sick for a long time. So mm. I started... My autoimmune disease symptoms started at age eight, like sudden onset. I now think I understand that that was when I was first exposed to toxic mold. At the time, we didn't really know what was going on. I was born with candida, which is like, I was born with oral thrush. So Mm. I literally, I had like a gut imbalance at actual birth and I fought candida my whole life. I'm still fighting candida today. And when I'm on antifungals, I feel like I don't have an autoimmune disease. When I'm not on antifungals, I feel like I do. It's like a really crazy thing. Mm. So like, my mom, if she was here, would say, well, Sasha always had stomach aches. Sasha always had stuff. But I didn't really feel like it started until I was eight. I was in daycare. And one, yeah. And I remember very specifically, I was picked up by my dad at daycare and he was walking me down this like long path um, in front of the playground. There was like this asphalt playground and he was walking me to his car. And I remember having this headache. And then the next day at daycare, right around the same time, like I guess he picked me up at like 5 p.m., you know, like when he's done with work, I had the headache again. And the next day I had a headache again. And that was the beginning of I had childhood migraines, which is like so unusual. Mm. So I really, things started when I was eight. Um, after the migraines, a couple years later, my digestion totally went to trash. Like I had ongoing diarrhea. I had ongoing sinus infections. Anybody who knows about toxic mold at this point is like, this person has been mold poisoned. Mm. But we didn't know that, of course. I grew up in Seattle, so it's like the wettest place in the world. I was kind of used to mildew smells being like a thing. Like I didn't Mm. think that that was odd or strange. And I'll think, because fourth grade was when we bought the cabin, that Mm. what happened was I had a mold exposure there. I mean, the cabin smelled like mold all day long. Oh, wow. But there just wasn't like an awareness around that being, I was just like, oh, it's old and smells gross you know mm-hmm. but that was the time when it all kind of began so you were telling us that the sinus infections started yeah so so my symptoms kind of went headaches like sinus infections diarrhea after the sinus infections because this was the day and age when they would prescribe antibiotics for like a year of your life mm. this happened to a lot of my clients like a lot of people who now have autoimmune diseases were over treated with antibiotics mm. something i always ask people so I was on antibiotics for two years when I was 11, right? And that, I mean, my microbiome was ostensibly like totally wiped by that. We don't know, we didn't know at the time, right? Mm. So then after that, it was like constant diarrhea. But at the same time, it's like, I'm a kid and I'm like happy. Nobody's really, um, and I'm very lucky, right? Like some people do not have a childhood of health. Right. I feel for the most part, 
like I was taking all this kind of on the chin and there was sort of like, you know, we would take me to specialists, but nobody ever really found anything. So I really didn't identify as like a sick kid. And do you have siblings who may also yes. have been sick as well? Or she, just no, you? she was not. My mom was really sick. So in her forties, my mom got what we thought was MS. Mm-hmm. which I now think is toxic mold poisoning because MS was later ruled out. But she did have a relapsing and remitting autoimmune disease, was on steroids, was on injectable drugs, was on interferons. She did the whole MS thing, even to the point of like an experimental chemotherapy treatment, which actually oh, wow. like really helped her. Wow. So she went into remission for a period of time and now her stuff is back in her like late 60s. And I'm like, yeah, it's because we all got toxic molded, I think. Mm. You know, we'll see. It's sort of like me first, the family later is kind of my perspective on this because all of this medicine is so experimental that I think I'm the one most willing to like throw myself on that fire and be like, I don't want to live this way. So I'm willing to do it. And I think that as I improve, like my family's perspectives on it has have opened up. Right. Um, my sister also had some like joint related and like orthopedic related stuff mm. and chronic pain, but like. I was definitely at that at that time the the sick one. Right. Then when I became a teenager, <clears throat> my mom got MS, which we now know wasn't MS. But and then definitely my mom became like the chronically ill person in the house. So your dad is the only person who wasn't affected by That's right. And I think and I think his genetics probably are better mm. at, in that way, right? So like I teach the six root causes of chronic illness and one of them is gene mutations and I think probably my mom and I both have the gene mutation that makes it difficult to detoxify. So, cause you know, with toxic mold, like only 25% of the people who are exposed to it will have a reaction. Mm. Like 75% of people won't like that's lucky. (laughs) Well, I will thank God. Right. Because like we can't afford the medical community can't afford everybody to be like me. Like the costs of my care are so high. And so much I imagine out of pocket that's not covered by insurance. Like detoxing your house, for example, I am paying much more for my health than anybody for sure. But then again, it's your health. And if you're going to invest in something, yeah. Right. Well, I didn't really have an option. Like I, I was not given a choice. So, um, so anyway, that was my childhood. When we, when I finally got diagnosed, um, I would say like my weight started to really change when I was like 19 in college. Shortly thereafter, my mom had basically like had enough. She was like, something is up with you. Sasha. And when you say your weight was changing, were you gaining weight or I losing it? I was gaining it? weight. Okay. So I had historically been like a teensy tiny person, actually very underweight, which makes mm. sense too. I think I was probably not getting very much nourishment, honestly. Right. Because I also got scoliosis at that time. I think wow. that maybe, we, I can't prove this at this point, right? Like mm. chronic illness world is still pretty theoretical, but I think that most likely my scoliosis came because of um, a lack of like nutritional yeah, balance. Your body couldn't process nutrients. Totally. Well, once your gut gets damaged, yeah, you get malnourished. Right. So I had actually been very tiny. Like doctors have been concerned about me being underweight mm. for most of my life. And then I got my period and all the Hashi stuff started happening. So all the like water retention, it was like all of a sudden from my boobs to like right above my vagina was just like covered in water. Like I just had like a sack. Wow. I just had like a chunky stomach sack. And then right. I still had these like skinny arms. Like, <laughs> you know, that's like the Hashi's thing. We just get puffy. Yeah. Like, Hashi's patient. We just start to get puffy and like weird uh, shaped. Yeah. You know? So um, that started happening. And of course, I was a teenage girl. So I was like, oh, well, I'm fat. I need to starve myself and work out. Right. So then I got this eating disorder, which is also super common. Thanks, autoimmune disorder. Thanks, autoimmune disease. <laughs> because we're like, my body's weird. I'm going to take radical action. Super right. common. So, um, 
So then like the eating disorder kind of disguised what was going on for a while because ironically, I kind of like stopped eating carbs, which for Hashis is very good. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I Delicious actually was the devil. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I actually had a period of time where I was very sick in my mind, but actually like I had kind of a remission of symptoms from like I would say age like 17 to 19 because wow. I was really playing with anorexia. Mm. But for my body where like when you put carbs into me, inflammation goes insane. I, it was actually kind of a time of stability, which is very interesting. Wow. Then I, I've always been a very intense feminist. I couldn't lie to myself about what I was doing. And I was like, fuck this. I got to stop. Yeah. I was like, I, I'm not behind me starving myself anymore. Yeah. So I stopped doing that. And then um, things just started to get crazy, like bizarre food cravings, crazy fogginess, crazy fatigue. And I was in the middle of school. Also, probably not a coincidence that I was like drinking not right. eating well because I'm eating like dorm food, oh, you know? man. Yeah. So at 20, I actually was diagnosed with Hashi's. At the time, I was not told that that was an autoimmune disease. They were basically wow. like, you have a thyroid disease. We're going to kill your thyroid gland and then you'll be on medication and you'll be fine. This was their treatment plan for this, Hashimoto's? This was their treatment plan for Hashimoto's. Because this was, I mean, I'm 32, so this was 10, almost 13 years ago. So they just didn't know how to treat it. They just didn't know what autoimmune diseases really were, right? Wow. I was so happy that we found something. And how did they find it as well? Did they run a specific basic, test? Basic TSH. It was so basic. Now my Hashi's looks very different than that. Right. But when it was discovered at 20, my TSH was really low. And they were like, you're hyper. Because I was. Because mm. when Hashi's comes on, you often go up before you go down. And that's what's often known as a Graves episode. Exactly. So they thought I had Graves. I didn't. Which is lucky because Graves is actually a lot yes. harder to treat and often yes. involves removal of the thyroid. Yes. Because it's so dangerous to be so high. Right. So what happened is I was in this group of people, they said at the time, like a third of people will respond this way, where if you're treated with um, methamazole or tapazole, which is the anti-thyroid medication when you're too high, mm. if you're treated with that below the age of 20, you could go into what they called at the time remission, mm. which meant that your TSH would stabilize. And that actually happened to me. So I didn't do the radioactive iodine treatment. So I'm incredibly lucky. It's ex Yeah, that's crazy lucky. Because I remember when I was first diagnosed, there yeah. was a possibility I'd have to do the radioactive totally. iodine. Totally. And I was like, no, you can't do anything. With I know. It's, well, it's terrifying. Right? Yeah. And I feel, I really feel for patients who have had that done. Cause now we know that like, there's so much hope to put these diseases into remission. You don't have to kill a gland in your body. Yeah. So, but the, the downside of that Lauren is that they told me I was done and I was not mm. done. They were like, your TSH is normal now. From the moment that they stabilized me, I know I was hypo. That was not a normal level for me. Like I was, that was when all the facial puffiness happened. Like my body looked totally, looked and felt totally weird. I was in my young 20s. From that moment forward, I was just like, I never felt good in my body. And they knew to run a TSH panel on you just from the yeah. symptoms. So they yeah. already, they had a suspicion just based on your basic symptoms yes. that there was something thyroid related. Yes. Well, my mom was brilliant and took me to an endocrinologist. Right. A bunch of general care general practitioners had missed it at the mm. time. So I looked like a really standard case at that point. What happened at 20 was I was told I really don't have a thyroid condition anymore. <clears throat> and the same thing happened. I freaked out about the weight I had gained. I stopped eating carbs and I stabilized from age like 20 to 23. Mm. Same thing happened again. I, I went to a therapist who was like, you have an eating disorder. I cleaned that up. Right. And then actually I started to get sicker again because I was eating in a more like 
what for a healthy person would be like a more normal way, a balanced, more yeah. balanced way. So at that point, I, um, I started to go back to my endocrinologist and be like, I think I'm hypo here are the evidence. Here's the evidence. Mm. And he would check my blood and say, you're not Bye. This went on for like four years. I was like, I'm cold. I'm puffy. I'm, I'm spacey. Mm. I was like, um, I'm getting yeast infections all the time. I was like, I am hypo. And he was like, yeah. you aren't. And all of this in the midst of starting your career, graduating oh, from college, gosh. like finding your feet in your love life, you know, well, all I, of that. And stuff. can you imagine as an actress oh being completely out of control of the way you look? It was one of the most damaging, like psychological yeah. things. I love, I love the perspective that chronic illness really is long-term trauma because I think it's what we've experienced. It's like what I try to talk to my clients all the time about like, look, what happened to you is actually traumatic. Like Mm. being told for years of your life that you're making up what's happening, being told for years, just living in a body that isn't safe for years. Like ever since I've been a kid, it's been like, oh, I might have a diarrhea attack. It's like, I don't live in a safe vessel. Yeah. And that's actually psychologically traumatizing. It's incredibly damaging. It's incredibly damaging. And so I find a ton of freedom in that, especially now that we're talking about ableism for like what feels like the first time as a society. Yeah. Like acknowledging that I have not lived in an able body is such a relief for me. It's such a relief for so many of my clients. Yeah. And not, and not something that you would look at and and hate your body for either. It's that you're able to go, this was my body's experience. Exactly. Right. So, so you've learned to love your body despite the setbacks and go, this was the journey that I needed to be on. Well, and Lauren, not, not only that, like I would say, so I got re-diagnosed with Hashi's at 30. From that point on, I really like did not have an eating disorder anymore because I was like, Oh, I have a disease. This is what I mean. Like, this is why I do believe that doctors need to start to be held accountable for what they're doing to women. Cause it's seven to one women to men. It's like absolutely what doctors are doing to women by gaslighting our symptoms is deeply psychologically traumatizing. Yeah. I would not have had an eating disorder if anybody had, cause I remember the point at which I started to get that Hashimoto's belly at 15 and my mom took me to a nutritionist just being like, maybe something's up very loving. She wasn't shaming what she mm. did. And the nutritionist was like, Oh, Sasha's just eating a little too much sugar. This is just a little, extra fluff basically told me it was my fault like everybody had my whole life that was the point where I was like I'm fucking it up right? yeah and as an actress it was like horrifying to wake up one day and look in the mirror and I look like I'm 10 pounds heavier because I have an inflammatory disease mm. and like to put myself on camera like that I mean it was just and there's already so much pressure on women in oh the God. industry anyway but 100%. then the additional yes stress of that yes yeah and I think too you know because I listened to a lot of podcasts by um Lindy West, who's actually a friend from high school, but also is a, um, incredible fat activist and Mm. feminist. She now writes for uh, the New York times, but she started at the stranger and worked for GQ and she's incredible. Mm. And you know, her perspective is so healing, but she also can identify as a fat woman Mm. as a Hashi's patient. I didn't feel like there was any place for me. Because you're I, neither the fat person. I was like, or the I don't think person. I'm a fat person. I don't think I'm a skinny person. I, I had an agent weird. say that to me once. Yes. She told me that yes. I either had to gain weight yes. and be the fat girl or lose it and be the skinny one. Yes. And when you have someone tell you like tell you that who is also a woman, the Ugh. damage that that does to you psychologically. God, so that's the kind of thing, you know. Yes. It's insane. It's insane. So I feel like because I had this in front of the camera, and it was so apt what you said too about starting your love life. I mean, like my God, Hashi's getting naked patients. in front of people. Oh They're my seeing God. It. I know. And I think I'm so lucky to be a Hashi's patient in, in so many ways because it is one of the least 
damaging mm. and more easily controlled. But I would say on the body image spectrum, it's one of the worst. Yeah. Like Hashi's patients in romance, it's like a fucking disaster for us. I think when you don't know what's going on. Yeah. So like a hundred percent, like the obsession with getting validation from men. Cause I felt like something was so wrong with my body. And like, this is going to be familiar to so many women period. Mm. But I think like, I just want to speak to women with Hashi's out there being like, Oh baby girl, like I so get it. Yeah. I so get it before you know what's going on. It's, it's, terrible it's why almost every woman should have their thyroid checked really oh god we should be having them checked regularly and not just the tsh levels well and let's talk about that let's yeah. just say for anybody who thinks they have a thyroid condition if you aren't being tested for your reverse t3 they are not testing you you have to get your tpo and um oh god what's the other the free t3 yes the tpo antibodies the free t3 and the reverse t3 like you have to get it and guys write that down and i will put this on the yes. website when if we there is one, the episode. thank yeah. you if there is one thing i would love to gift the world of thyroid yeah. disease it's if your practitioner is not checking your antibodies and your reverse t3 you could be massively hypothyroid yeah it's so, like they're looking at too limited a scope yes the tsh so it's like the tsh worked for me at 20 at 30 my tsh looked normal i was so sick yeah. But you also had these other symptoms yeah. going on because you weren't just dealing with the Hashimoto's. That's you were right. dealing with this long-term mold toxicity. That's right. And with the interstitial cystitis, Well, right? which came directly out of the mold. So so essentially, okay. well, I'm going to act like I'm, I'm an expert right now, but I want to make clear that like I'm talking about my case. Right. I do think that... I have a theory that all interstitial cystitis is related to fungus and candida. And can you tell us what interstitial cystitis totally, is? Totally. So I'll, t- I'll tell you about it by telling my story. Basically, yeah. so I, I already spoke about the fact that I have had candida often on my whole life. And candida is? And candida is a yeast infection of the whole body. Right. So candida is the thing that causes vaginal yeast infections. It causes like toenail fungus often too. But for people who are chronically ill, candida goes all over our bodies. Mm. So like um, the infect- the sinus infections I was having were more likely, knowing my case now, they were more likely fungal than actually mm. bacterial, which is why they kept coming back when I treated them with antibiotics, right? And by then you'd already put so many antibiotics in yes. your body that that was part of the problem too. Oh, 100%. Sure. The mold was going crazy. And antibiotics are mold, by the way. So it's like if you have a mold issue and you take antibiotics, you're just like putting logs on a burning bonfire. Well, I I think we often tend to forget that we treat illness with illness, right? We often Mm. have to use another form of illness to kill the bacteria or the fungus. That's so beautifully said. That's causing the problem. I mean, you look at cancer as a great example, right? It's a perfect example. Chemo and radiation, (sighs) not good for you. Weakens the body when it's trying to fight yeah, a cancer. and some of these experimental treatments where HIV is being used to fight cancer. I did not hear about that. That's, that's horrifying. That's a really that one is like very early stages, and I think Vice actually did a, a wow. thing on it some time wow. ago. But it's it's we're using bad things to fight wow. bad things, and we have to remember when we're putting these things in our bodies that we yes. have to be empowered yes. to find out exactly what it is that a doctor is telling us that 100%. we need to do. And this is a perfect dovetail onto that. And mm. I'll try to make it quick because my health history is so long that I could go forever. <laughs> but one of the things that happened as a child was chronic horse hoarseness of my throat because mm. of acid reflux, which is super common in Hashi's. And one more thing I would love to clear up while I have this platform <laughs> is if you're having acid reflux and you have Hashi's, you don't have enough stomach acid. Mm. It's not that you have too much. So I was treated with um, Prilosec for years, which also threw 
a lot of fire, like lighter fluid on the fire that was already burning. Cause mm. at the time we thought that acid reflux was an overabundance of acid. It's not. So if you have that with Hashi's, a lot of people with Hashi's stop producing enough stomach acid. It's why our guts get so fucked up because we can't kill bacteria that we eat. It's like, it's just, you need a lot of stomach acid. It's crazy because even hearing you talk about this is making me go, oh yeah, I've, I have yeah. acid reflux. Totally. And I didn't even make that connection, but of yes. course it makes total sense. Yes, yes. And anybody, and I would say like, my hope is people like me now, because one of the reasons I'm a coach now is because if I saw my case as a child now, I would be like... Girl, get you to a functional endocrinologist this second. Yeah. P.S. I think you have toxic mold. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> but at the time, like we just didn't have that understanding of these diseases. Yeah. So you asked about interstitial cystitis. Yes. So what happened was, um, all through my twenties, I was starting to get sicker. Once I stopped, like having an eating disorder, essentially. Mm. And then at twenty-eight, I um, I had a boyfriend at the time, and like once a month, I was getting UTIs, mm. and I was like, "Am I just having sex in a weird way? Like, what's happening?" And what happened is after nine UTIs in 10 months, oh my gosh, I stopped getting UTIs. I just constantly felt like I had a UTI and that's interstitial cystitis. Wow. It's a nightmare. Was you're making the connection that that was all caused because of the toxic mold. A hundred. And if you had been treating the root cause of, Uh, I don't think I would have a second autoimmune disease today. A hundred percent. So the thing about interstitial cystitis is it happens when there's been a degradation of the mucosal layer inside your bladder. So the problem now is even though most of my symptoms are resolving beautifully since I've been treating the mold, which mm-hmm. I finally found at age 32 when I got sick at eight, right? Wow. My bladder is still the most inflamed part of me because it has to rebuild that mucosal layer. Mm-hmm. So like my question is, and I have a feeling that I, I believe that I will be well someday, but like, I, I need to figure out how to rebuild that layer inside my bladder because mm. even if it's not being as impacted by the fungus as it was, there's been damage as a result right. of that, right? So, so at 28, then I got my second autoimmune disease, mm. and that was the point where I was like starting to identify that I was actually a sick person, right? Because also, like then I got the the classic autoimmune stuff of like crippling fatigue, like in bed at 7:30 p.m., which tends to be really like the last symptom, doesn't it? Because oh, it's interesting. Like our bodies are breaking down. Yeah. Um, and we may yeah. or may not be acknowledging that that's happening. And totally. I think that's what happened to me, right? There was stuff happening, but it was so little over time yeah. that I didn't pay attention. So it wasn't until I crashed and burned yep. and got crazy fatigue that I was like, oh, and wait a minute, I've been like that for a really long time. Yeah. So it's interesting that that's what happened to you is that eventually you were like, well, now I can't even get out of bed. Right. It was very clear. Yeah. It just became abundantly clear that like there was something really the matter. Mm. And also my migraines that I had since a kid went from like once a month on my period, which is like typical migraine to, I was getting three a week. Like they didn't stop. And did they try to put you on migraine medication as well? Thankfully, yes. But I am on not the preventative. I'm on Zolmetriptan, which is like when I take, I take it when I have a headache. Okay. And this is why I will never be like, fuck you, Western medicine, because I like the pain medications that I have for my bladder and my migraines literally allowed me to get well. Like I could not have been doing the research that I was doing. I could not have been running a business if I was in pain like Mm. that. It's debilitating. Yeah. So like I tell my clients all the time, I think most of us really do need both. Like you need somebody who's going to treat your root causes. But in the meantime, like what do you need to be functional? Yeah. And and you became a coach because of this. Did you go see a coach? I did. Yeah, I did. So what happened is once we found out, so big shot, 
shout out to Dr. Lalazar in Brentwood mm-hmm. who ran the best blood work that anybody had ever run on me. Mm. She was my first functional practitioner and I actually went to her for heavy metal treatment because that's her specialty and I we had found that I had that. So it's like I didn't have a name yet but we had found some stuff like heavy metals, some parasites, but nothing big. And she was the one that was like, you have Hashimoto's, it's right here, right? Mm. Um, Which is, and let's just talk about that for a second because it's huge when you get a diagnosis. When you have a name oh, to put God. on something, it's like these years of symptoms, oh. years of of feeling like you were under par and not fully understanding why. Yeah. When you have a name that you can put on that, it enables you to change your perspective mentally on so many levels. Oh my it? God. It's, I like cried and cried with joy. Yeah. Just joy. You yeah. Know? It was an enormous deal. I remember going into work and being like, I have Hashimoto's. <laughs> and like sort of telling people like it was really good news. Because now we yes. figured it out. Well, yeah. and for me too, I had come off of years of like, I mean, Lauren, I was spending seven to $13,000 cash a year yeah. and nothing was working. When I was given a name, I was like, oh my God, it's going to start to work. Like, it was like unbelievable mm-hmm. that I was going to start to actually be able to make headway. And by the way, that also happened when we found the mold thing. I was like, yes, yes. like mold can be treated. And you also know? mold is a diagnosis, Yes, which I think a lot of people don't fully understand either because yeah. it can be its own diagnosis. It can be related to Lyme disease as a root cause. Totally. It, it, it runs the gamut. Totally. It? And I love that you bring that forward at, because I didn't. I wasn't just a Hashi's patient. Yeah. I know a lot of people with Hashi's that like went on T4 and were like, I'm better now. And I was like, I am fucked up still. Most of the people I know were fine on just T4. And I was like, what? Who are you? Who are you? What's going on? Did you win the genetic lottery? I know. And I was like, is your bladder (laughs) fucked up? And they were like, no. And I was like, what? Like, why are you asking me about my bladder? And I'm like, can you not breathe well? Because breathing, like respiratory air hunger was a huge part of my toxic mold story. Mm. Like there was mold in all my airways. So I had this like asthma experience that instead steroids couldn't help it was a nightmare but that can also be related to hashi directly because that's about things like sleep apnea which i have which is directly related yeah. or if you're under treated you can yeah. just have air hunger sometimes yeah so totally it's like uh, so i love that you say that you're right because yeah. it's like some people it's just one thing for me it was a lot of things yeah um, and i think we need to give ourselves credit for sometimes it being a lot of things because sometimes the psychological element is one thing in and of itself. Oh God. You know, and these diseases cause psychological problems. Yes, they do. They manifest themselves in so many different ways. And so, you know, even if you have just the one thing, if you just had Hashimoto's, it also gave you an eating disorder. You know, 100%. Things like and then that had to be that. treated. Yeah. And acknowledging these things with yeah. love. Yeah. And and seeking treatment for them and being able to love ourselves enough, which and this is where I think the line divides between men and women a little bit, mm. you know, um, where you have to learn to love yourself enough to empower yourself to I seek help. Yeah, because we're really good at flying under the radar. Think about your period alone, and I know. every month when you go through that pain, if you have pain or discomfort with it, mm. you know um, that we're taught to get on with it. Mm. So I think as women, we're kind of conditioned that way. Totally. And you're so lucky that you had an advocate in someone like your mom, right? I did early on have an advocate in her, and yeah. I think that it's so interesting that you say that because my boyfriend has acknowledged a lot of times like my like steely will to live through this and Mm. it's something I really took for granted because to me I was like well I'm dying and I'm 28 I'm not going to die but I actually have because I'm a coach I meet a lot of people who are not able to do that for themselves and I do think it was like so much of what my parents taught me my mom was very curious about what was going on Mm. Um, and my dad was just like you can do anything and I do think that when it came down to it 
like I was willing to do whatever it took to not live in the amount of pain that I was in. Absolutely. Um, so you asked me about coaching. So what happened is yeah. once Dr. Lalazar told me you have an autoimmune disease, it was like, oh my God, I have a place to start. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she mentioned in that first appointment where she diagnosed me was, you know, you might want to consider a paleo diet. It helps some of my um, clients. Mm. And so I, I went home and I Googled autoimmune paleo diet and I found Angie Alt and Mickey Trescott's website, Autoimmune Paleo, which mm-hmm. is now called Autoimmune Wellness because they've opened it up wider. Mm-hmm. Um, unbelievable resource for me. And I saw, that's when I was introduced to the autoimmune protocol, which is a specific elimination diet for autoimmune patients mm-hmm. that removes every inflammatory food. It basically is a leaky gut healing protocol. Mm. So you add healing foods like um, sauerkraut and bone broth, and you take out everything inflammatory potentially, which is eggs, sugar, nightshades, dairy, all grains, Legumes, coffee, Mm. sugar, alcohol, processed oils, it's all gone. And like, let's touch on that for a minute too, because we live in a country, right? Where your average person goes to the supermarket and everything's a packaged food. Totally. So when you think that you've got something going on in your body, packaged foods are not going to help you. You need to go whole foods. You need to go fresh. Yeah. Um, and you need I don't to start think, cooking. You need to. Start you have cooking. to start cooking. And I think I've been through the thing where I've gone. Yeah. I don't have time to cook. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have that, especially when we're working hard, right? Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that becomes even more clear as you go on with these yeah. illnesses. That like. Totally. Even just a little bit of preparedness, if you on a Sunday night are like, well, Mm -hmm. I have to be home on Sunday at six because I got to cook for the week. If that's what you've got to do, or if every night you're like, I've got to get home and I've got to cook because I want it fresh. But either way, you shouldn't be eating packaged foods, period. None of us should. They're not helping anyone. Totally. And it's, it's so doable. There's, um, there's a resource that I can send you. I'm not going to remember her name off the top of my head, but her YouTube channel is called real world AIP. Hmm. And she, I think she's in Australia. I'm not gonna remember because I only saw her video once, but I was like, she's crushing it. She makes videos being like, this is how to actually do this and have a life. Right. Um, And it's, yeah. So anyway, I saw that diet and especially coming from an eating disorder background, I was like, there's no fucking way. Yeah, I know. But I also was like, yes, because I was so pumped (laughs) to have a place to go, you know? And so Angie, Angie Alt was my first health coach. I had already been coached. My like life coach, her name is Amber Chris, but I'd never been health coached. And, um, Angie is incredible. She does a six week program called SAD, like the standard American diet to Mm -hmm. AIP in six, where she takes people from a standard American diet to the autoimmune protocol in six weeks. And I signed up for this coaching program and I mean, it was just incredible. Mm. I just did it and I did it easily. I was like, wait, I can eat this way. And so it didn't bring up these old issues related to your eating disorder and like the control issues there. No. Wow. I would say I still have some of the rebellion issues. Mm-hmm. I would say to this day, there's things that I'm like, I want to do what I want from time to time. Yeah. But I don't even know that I would call that like an eating disorder issue at this point. I think I would call that like a healthy wanting to have a, a wide variety of experiences in my human life. And I think yeah. sometimes as an autoimmune patient, I take back my will because I need to. Like even if it's going to put me in pain for a couple of days, I like need to be able to do the thing. You that need to I, be able to have the ice cream or 100%. whatever. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. So being coached by Angie was a total turning point in my recovery because it was the moment that I became the doctor. Mm -hmm. And I would say if there was one thing that I give my clients, it's like 
well, I mean, I feel like I, I help my clients discover a lot of things, but if there's one thing that I think I hope they all leave with, it's a mm-hmm. sense of like, they are now in charge of their case. Yeah. And with Angie, it's like eating in this way already. None of my doctors put this on my radar. It totally mm-hmm. changed my life. Yeah. I want to be clear. It was not the end for me. And I know, I want to say that because for a lot of people, AIP is like, I'm done. Right. And for a lot of us, that is not the case. Mm-hmm. So like, I want to be clear AIP made me functional when I was debilitated. It did not make me well. Well, it's the way, the way people look at keto and say it's the magic pill. Totally. Nothing's a magic pill, guys. Totally. Like, you know, yeah. your whole lifestyle is the magic pill. Right. Well, and for some of us, we have to treat microbial infections and toxicity before we're going to get better anyway. Right. And that was me. So, uh, but it was like... Angie helped me understand what was going on in my body in a totally different way. Mm. And then I started this like massive research effort. So it was like, I I listened to their entire podcast. I watched Dr. Tom O'Brien's entire mini series called Betrayal on Mm. autoimmune disease and what's going on in the medical system. I read Dr. Kelly Brogan's book. I read Dr. Amy Meyer's book. I read Dr. Mark Hyman's books. And I was like, I'm seeing trends here. Mm. Like what I'm seeing is... People with the diseases like I have, we have heavy metal and chemical poisoning. We have infections that nobody's treating. Mm. We have allergies nobody has found. And we have emotional trauma that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, And so how have you been working toward treating totally these symptoms i know we talked about coffee enemas before we got on here <laughs> and i know I you're love, a big fan i love a coffee enema <laughs> guys let's talk about poop <laughs> i love a coffee enema yeah so that i mean i know that that's been something you've also um like had your your living areas um like tested for mold and yeah and treated yeah but tell us like Tell us all the different things that oh, you've girl. done that have worked for you. Oh, girl. Because okay. I know there, there's a lot of trial and error in this process. And I love that you say that. Yeah. I love that you say that. Because I would say, like, had I known that, I would have been so much more sane. Mm. Like, I kept thinking, like, oh, it's going to be the next thing. And then I would go through these periods. I mean, my poor boyfriend would just hold me when I was, like, wailing in pain that I hadn't gotten it yet. Mm. And now when I go back over and look over the scope, I'm like, oh, it's because that's what we do to get well. It's like you run experiments. So the amount of experiments that I have run over, so I would say it's been five years now. When I was 28 was when I really became debilitated Mm -hmm. and I'm 33 in a month and I'm like 90% well. That's amazing. It's incredible. And I also want to say that because I really am one of the worst cases that I've ever seen Mm -hmm. because I was untreated for so many years and I had so much going on. So like if I can do it, you can do it. Mm. Seriously. Yeah. Like I found the money when I was working as an actor. Like it was like nothing was covered. How? I mean, it was in, right? <laughs> yeah. It just it was like I was determined. Yeah, and you made it happen. I made it happen. Mm. I I resourced myself from every place I possibly could. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.